Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Good morning. I'm so excited. Um, I'm, I'm not preaching this morning, and you're going to be so grateful because, because the person who's coming to preach, he pastors our Every Nation Church of, um, in Austin, Texas called Mosaic Church. They're a diverse church just like us, and I'm just so thankful that they have a lot of the same DNA that we have. He oversaw, um, he was the president of our campus ministries nationwide for a number of years, and then they moved to Austin, Texas to help a church that was declining, and they were they were about running about 200 in attendance. They went from 800 to 200, and now they're, they're well into four services, well into hundreds upon hundreds, and, uh, and they're trying to build buildings and just figuring out what they're going to do with all the people that God's brought them, but he has a tremendous word for us this morning. I know it's going to bless you. It blessed me. I was so emotional after the service. I came and did announcements. I was like, I can't, I can't even, you know, I can't even compose myself. So anyway, would you stand on your feet and help welcome Pastor Morgan Stevens to the stage this morning? Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. Um, thank you all. You, you can be seated. You're very kind for that. Um, you're actually far kinder than the first service. You just stared at me. It was earlier. You guys are more awake and energetic, so I've already, uh, I like all, all your people here. No, uh, I'm very honored to be here uh, with you. That's really the word for it. Thrilled to be here uh, with you all today. Seeing a couple old friends, Christian Diane Adams. You guys, if you know the Adams, the Adams family, they're right here in our midst today. So, uh, they're tremendous people, and we've known them for, for quite a number of years. Uh, just bring you greetings from our Every Nation family all over the world, uh, from all over the Southwest region in particular. Uh, just want to tell you a couple of things. First of all, just want to just affirm your multi-ethnicity here. It's a really, really big deal. It's very challenging. We work through all those same kind of blessings and opportunities and challenges in our church. Churches who are fully multi-ethnic, that means it goes all the way to the leadership and positions of power, comprise less than 1% of churches in the United States, less than 1%. You're in the 1% category of churches. Um, that's how rare this is, and so I hope you don't take it for granted. just want to affirm all you do with that. Uh, and second, just to say, listen, I want to affirm your pastor. Uh, I've known Ben and Brandy for a number of years, and they're fantastic people. This is a sad but true statement. Not all, because I know just not just in EN, but in other churches, especially the ones I know in Austin, but not every pastor loves the church that he's a part of. <laughs> but I want to tell you, just from knowing Ben behind the scenes and walking with him, he loves you. He loves, you should hear that, he loves you. And he loves this church, and he loves this city, and you have an excellent, excellent pastor and family leading along with many of you. So I just want to affirm uh, Ben and Brandy. Um, so yeah. All right, now that, you, now that you've been seated, I'm asking you to stand back up. Stand back up. I'm the guest guy. I can ask you to do some weird stuff here today. If you don't normally do this, we're going to just stand for the reading of God's Word. Um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 today, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to read this, and it's going to be on the screen. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. Yeah, you may be seated. Uh, excited to continue on in this series. As you can tell, it's called Amazing Grace. You're doing this along with our church in Austin, uh, uh, hundreds of churches around the world in the Every Nation family looking at God's amazing grace. And so to get us going today, I actually want to talk to you about what's my second least favorite thing. You're like, yes, that's right, that's my introduction. Second least favorite thing, because my least favorite thing, if you didn't know me, uh, is bananas. I hate bananas. Don't ever didn't bring them. Just, I, I hope I'm not alone today. I uh, don't like those. And that that kind of gets around and follows me, probably because I keep talking about it. But anyway, no worries. I'm not going to talk about my least favorite thing. I'm going to talk about my second least favorite thing. And my second least favorite thing, and it may be actually your least favorite thing, and I'm fairly convinced it's most Americans' least favorite thing, and that is this dreaded D word. It's the word discipline. Discipline. So yeah, I, I came all the way down I-35 today to talk to you about discipline, because all discipline is in any area is that thing that you're supposed to do, but you may not really want to do it. Or as the southern half of my family puts it, it's the thing that you're supposed to do supposed to do but you may not want to do and if I wanted to make luminous church if I want to make you feel really bad today I could just create a checklist and put something on a screen of all the things that you're supposed to do but you may not want to do actually that's not true I'm going to walk that back I did create a list so here's the list of at least some stuff you're supposed to do you're supposed to brush your teeth preferably at least daily God help us right your friends are going to thank you for that call me crazy you need you're supposed to eat less Supposed to eat more vegetables, supposed to go to bed earlier, supposed to get up earlier, supposed to exercise more, supposed to read more, supposed to watch less TV, make sure you take time for yourself, make sure you take time for your spouse, if you're married, you got kids, uh, you're supposed to go to the doctor for that checkup, and you're supposed to rotate your tires. Oh, and by the way, call your mom Call your mom, because discipline is the thing, why are you staring at me? You know you're supposed to do that, right? That's hitting close to home. Discipline is the thing that you're supposed to do, but you may not want to do. And some of you, I can feel you already arguing with me a little bit inside. The wheels are turning, because you're, you're saying, Morgan, no, actually, I love doing all those things you just listed. Matter of fact, you could say, Morgan, I'm actually a disciplined person. I love discipline. So if that's you, if you would say, I actually am a disciplined person, would you go ahead and raise your hand today? Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Raise your hand. Yeah, great. You're the ones with all the extra energy in the room anyway so this ought to be easy for you all right so but let me just say we had a couple in the first service too if you raised your hand let me tell you we didn't actually even need you to raise your hand we already knew who you were anyway <laughs> because you're the ones who post those new year's resolutions online before it's new year's because you're so excited about all the discipline you're going to get to have for the new year. Or maybe you're crazy disciplined about running, and that's how we know who you are, because we see you jogging past our houses uh, every day at 7 a.m. Or maybe we don't know who you are, because you finished your run before we ever even get up. Or ever even get up. Or maybe uh, if you know who you are, if you're disciplined, maybe some of you are disciplined about cycling. Any cyclists in here? Austin's a big cycling town. We the one in the first service. Yeah, you see cyclists around, right? They're amazing people. They're so crazy disciplined. And not only that, I think they're crazy courageous. This is why I don't do this, because they, draw, they dodge distracted drivers like you around San Antonio, and they wear all those crazy cyclist clothes. 
<laughs> I, can't, I cannot bring myself to wear those things. But they do, and I think they're amazing. But here's the amazing thing about discipline, and I think that all of us have found this to be true. That something that started out as merely a discipline, started out as sheer drudgery, started out as something that perhaps someone made us do, at some point along the way, that thing turned into something that we wanted to do. What began as a discipline at some point became a, a delight perhaps for us. Maybe some of you, you, you started out as a kid and your parents forced you to learn guitar or forced you to learn piano and then you practiced and practiced because you didn't want to do it. But at some point you found yourself going back and doing that and playing it even though no one was forcing you. Or maybe later in life as an adult, now you've gone back and you've picked back up that guitar or piano. Why? Because you can't imagine your life without it. Now, thinking about this, I think it's funny, by the way, that no one goes back later in life and picks up the tuba. You just don't do it. Or the bassoon or the timpani, anyway. Uh, but it's mostly guitar and piano, you, you know what I mean. My point is, what began as a discipline has become a delight, and now you can't imagine your life without it. So what I really want to talk to you today, today is about how the amazing grace of God can transform what might be a least favorite thing in your life right now something you can't, into something you can't imagine your life without. I want to talk to you about how the grace of God today invites us, compels us, inspires us, calls us to create the discipline of meeting with God. The discipline of meeting with God. And I think if you'll do this today, I think if you'll create this discipline, I think if you'll do what I'm talking about, and again, my hope today is to inspire you to do this, I think that you'll find that what began as a discipline becomes a delight. So a few quick things before we get into our passage, and we got to do this before we go any further. Some of you may be asking, especially if you're new, well, what, what is this thing called the grace of God? It's supposed to call me, invite me, compel me, whatever. What's the grace of God? If you're asking that, here's my best shot at it for you today. It's my working discipline. It can be on the screen. Here it is. Grace is getting what I want the most, when I need it the most, when I deserve it the least. All right? Let me ask you actually to read this out loud. Let me say this again. Grace is getting what you want the most, when you need it the most, when you deserve it the least. Yeah, grace is something that you can't buy. You don't deserve it. It's right. It's like what that law enforcement officer did for you when he caught you going that fast to that zone. Could have given you that ticket, but, but he didn't. Grace is something you, you, you can't earn. You don't deserve it. It's unique, by the way, to the Christian faith because only the Christian faith holds grace at the center. You aren't a Christian, furthermore, because you're a really good commandment keeper. Because you're an eightfold path walker, if that's your faith background. If you're a really good five pillar obeying person, that's your background. Or even if you were born into a Christian family, you can only become and remain a Christian by the grace of God, by getting what you want the most, forgiveness, a connection with God, when you need it the most, when you deserve it the least. And so what I want you to see today is that one of the things that experiencing that from God does to us is to invite us to create the discipline of meeting with God. So that brings me to a couple things before we get going. For some of you, that may be a hard thing for you maybe to believe, that God wants to meet with you. Maybe you used to believe that, but you've let go of that. That's not where you are right now. You're just somebody brought you today. Again, we're so glad you're here. But you should know that Christians, from the beginning, the Christian faith has claimed 
that the God of the Bible is a personal God who's created you personally, knows you personally, loves you personally, and wants to meet with you. And you can know that from not only the record of person upon person who has had a dramatic encounter with God in the Christian scriptures, but from also the testimony, hear me, from people all around you today all around you today, who said they know that somehow that God has met with them, somehow God knows them, and they would also say that as a mature Christian person, that maturity really has only come because they've created the habit, the discipline of meeting with God. So to see why all this is true, why I think all this is true, I want to teach through this text just for a moment and then show you three things about it, I think, will be helpful for you today. All right, so here we go. We are looking, as you can see, in the book of Hebrews today. Uh, And if you're not familiar with it, we read a little bit from it. Hebrews was a book that was written to take all these significant storylines of the Hebrew scriptures, what Christians now call the Old Testament, and to show how these storylines find their ultimate fulfillment, their ultimate meaning, their ultimate expression in this person of Jesus of Nazareth. So even though there is, when you read it, if you go back, there's some complicated theology in there. It's worth a dig. There's also lots, thankfully, of helpful application along the way. So we're going to look at one of those storylines apply to us right now. Let's pick it up in chapter 4, verse 14. The writer says, Therefore, since we have a great, look at this, high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, he names the person. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So the particular storyline being held up from the Hebrew Scriptures is the storyline of the priest. And the priest was an important storyline in the Old Testament because the priest was a reconciling agent. You may know this. A priest was someone who stood between people on the one hand, God in heaven on the other, and offered a sacrifice for the people's sin and selfishness. And the priest was so important because if the priest didn't do his job correctly, the people and God stayed separated. And so the inner life of the priest was crucial. His thought life was crucial. How the priest dressed was crucial. What he ate, where he went was crucial. So important. Oh, oh, but the writer is saying here now that you don't need a priest anymore. And thankfully, you'll be happy to know I'm not your priest, neither is Pastor Ben your priest. Some of you are saying, thank God for that. I knew that already. No, Jesus, he's saying, is your priest. He is the one who offered, not a lamb or a goat or a sheep or whatever, but himself as your sacrifice to reconcile you and us back to God. And he proved this, his perfect life, by rising from the dead. Because what could be more perfect, a perfect life than a resurrection from the dead? And this, he proved this by rising from the dead, was seen by hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses alive again. And they saw him return, ascend to heaven, the scripture says. And so Christians have insisted from the beginning, he's still alive, doing this for us today, interceding for us. So here's what's so powerful, powerful about this perfect priest. We'll go on, verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses means to know where we live, how we live, what it's like to be us. But we have one who's been tempted, what does it say? In every way. Was Jesus tempted like that? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yet he did not sin. He's tempted just like we are, but he chose what was right every time. And then the writer concludes with this powerful, powerful call and invitation to you and to me today. Verse 16, let us then, he says, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive, what does it say? Judgment, does it say we can find judgment, exclusion, 
abandonment? No. Mercy, grace to help us. Oh. So I'll put this truth, this idea in the form of this question right now. Did you know that God wants to meet with you? Did you know that God wants to meet with someone like you? He wants to meet with you. He wants you to meet with him. And you can know that from those four little words the writer uses, that God wants us to create that discipline, the habit of meeting with him. The writer says, let us then approach. Now, for all you Bible nerds here, you may know this is, what, is what's called the aorist tense in the, in the Greek language. It means to approach and to keep on approaching, to come on and keep coming on. Oh, to keep on keeping on, not quit. This is showing us that God has a 24-7 open door policy at the throne of grace to meet with someone like you every single day. Let us then approach, it says him, at the throne of grace. Why? We may receive mercy and find grace in our time and need. And let me tell you this, that this is why, that I not only believe Christianity is true, but I want it to be true. I believe it's true, it's factually true, it's historically true, and I think you should too. But this is, a, this is the reason why I want it to be true. Because only Christianity says that there is a priest on the throne. There's someone with all power in heaven, and yet he longs to give grace to someone like me. Someone like you. The throne of grace for you and me, and we are invited to approach it. So let me give you now, in light of this, three reasons why I think we need to do this. Here we go. Reason number one is because the throne of grace is where we find someone like us and someone not like us. Someone like us, not like us. Let me show you what I mean. When I played college baseball years ago, went to the, the University of Houston, uh, I encountered someone. Yeah, come on, Coop. That's right, right there. Here we go. There's someone who, who really uh, challenged and changed my life for the better, and his name was Lou Hernandez. Lou was my strength coach. He's a five foot six Hispanic male from Alice, Texas, Rio Grande Valley. Met my friend here from the, from the RGV right there. And unlike the head coach or some of the assistant coaches, uh, you may not know that most athletes love that strength coach the most out of all their coaches because unlike the head coach or assistant coaches there's nothing weird or political or financial with your scholarship or whatever that strength coach just has one agenda which is to get you better better and so Lou did that Lou as we said Lou was on the swole patrol it was a super swole dude let me just explain he was an extremely muscular individual for those of you who needed the translation there, uh, kind of like you, you, know, you look at when you see Pastor Ben, for an example, or what you're looking at right now. Thank you very much. Uh, but no, Lou was, Lou was about five foot six, which meant that there was nowhere <clears throat> for his muscles to go but out, but out. And so if you asked him, this is true, if you asked him to touch his elbows together, he would do this. Because he literally could not get you know, point A to point B together across the mass of pectoral musculature that existed between his elbows. Or when you say, hey, Lou, hey, Lou can, you, can you touch your finger to your shoulder, you know, like most of us get? He would just go, because the bicep would go up and the finger couldn't get over the, <laughs> the top of it. Or you say, Lou, like, can you put your hand up your back? And he couldn't even raise it because the lat would just, it would swell like a blowfish, you know, like a, on the sides. And so uh, he was super swole. But what made him so helpful is that he was like us in that he was an athlete, but he was unlike us in that he knew how to train and condition the human body to achieve peak results. Someone who is only like us training us. Some, let's say, 150-pound dude from a dorms named Johnny. 
150 freshman pound, freshman dorm Johnny would, on one hand, let's just acknowledge, he would have been real nice to have as our trainer. Because he could never, ever make us do anything we did not want to do. Our workouts would have been so pleasant, so peaceful, so relaxed, restful. Let's say accommodating exactly what we wanted, right? But guess what? We never could have changed. We never could have literally grown into something more than what we were without someone challenging us. See, Lou, Lou is not like freshman dorm Johnny. When Lou went easy on us, when Lizzie on us, we called him Sweet Lou. That was rare. What was more often than not, uh, when it was hard, our workouts were hard, we called him behind his back but never to his face. Lucifer. <laughs> Lucifer. But the point is, <laughs> I hope you can see Lou, because he made our workouts like you know what. But he was like us and not like us, and that changed us. Hear me. You have this to an infinite degree with the person of Jesus. He is like you in that he is human, and like you, he was tempted in every way, and yet he is God. He never gave up. He never gave in. Let me ask you. Are you tempted to despair today hmm? over the loss of a loved one, perhaps? Jesus, you should know, lost his earthly father. His cousin, like a brother to him, John the Baptist, was wrongly arrested, executed, murdered. Are you tempted to misuse your sexuality some, some way? Let me tell you, despite what Martin Scorsese said, remember that old film? That new Netflix series says Jesus fully obeyed. And he fully taught God's laws, God's best practices regarding your body, human sexuality. Jesus, are you tempted to perhaps abuse your power, position of power somehow? Let me tell you, Jesus was a powerful draw for women. He was this magnet for women. Read his ministry, about his ministry. And yet he never took advantage of them. Leveraged his position on behalf of those who did not have. He was like hashtag me too way before. Me too. Are you tempted to hate someone? Hate. Or hold on to your bitterness because of what someone has done to you or people like you. Look at how Jesus lived as an oppressed Jew in an occupied state. Are you tempted to be passive? Look at Jesus confronting unjust power structures. Are you tempted to feel alone? All alone. Listen, his own disciples time after time failed him and left him. Empathy, hear me, is a powerful gift. And the the throne of grace is where you can meet someone who is tempted to despair, misuse his sexuality, abuse power, to hate, be passive, feel alone, and yet he didn't end at that same throne. We meet someone who is unlike us. And here's why that's good news and so, so important. Because if your God is only exactly like you, if your God only thinks like you think, feels about it, a situation like you feel about it, if your God only votes how you vote, if God can even vote, that can never change you, it can never change you, it can never make you more than who you are now. That's just you projecting, you making yourself God, and that's what we do as Americans today in the United States. But listen, you can meet the one person who can really make you who you were always meant to be, who you've always wanted to be, not in the weight room, thank God, but in the throne room, at the throne of grace. The throne of grace shows us we have someone like us and unlike us, and we need that now. Some of you are saying, Morgan, I thought you said grace was a gift. I can't earn it. Now you're talking about working out. Urgh. What's the deal? All right, let's go on. Find something else out about grace. Second, second now, moving on. The throne of grace, number two, is always 
opposed to earning, put it like this, but it's never opposed to effort. Always opposed to earning, never opposed to effort. Here's what I mean. While, yes, grace is a gift you don't deserve and you can only receive, not achieve, Christians have always said, hear me, that the source of grace is not the universe at large, not karma just giving back to you what you deserve or didn't deserve, but it's grace comes from a person. In specific, theologians call this the scandal of particularity. It's scandalous to us, to the modern mind, why grace and how grace can only come through one person, one time, one place. No, uh, but the Bible says Christians have claimed that grace and salvation come from one person in specific, named Jesus. And because he is a person, not just a spirit being, not just a ghost or a star or gas clouds in the universe, that means you must relate to him. And by the way, if you haven't noticed, all the married people can say amen. All relationships require work. Investment, time, sacrifice, and commitment. A few years ago, one half of my family had a family reunion up in Colorado. Maybe you've been at this part of Colorado, to Crested Butte, Colorado, southwest part. That half of my family is from there. And so one morning on, at this reunion, a bunch of us, and by a bunch of us, I don't mean me, decided it would be a good idea to climb the mountain. Climb Mount Crested Butte. No preparation no information, what could go wrong? What could go wrong, right? I mean, what a nice sounding mountain because crested, that sounds like a toothpaste, right? I mean, it's, it's fresh, beautiful. It's like halfway to beautiful, fresh and beautiful. What could go wrong? But what they should have named the mountain, I discovered at about, mm, say, 11,000 feet, what they should have named it was Peak of Frozen Death. Peak of Frozen <laughs> Or Mount, and another one, I thought about this later, Mount, don't even think about it. Fortunately, I had like a fish and game expert uncle who was with me, my uncle Steve, had a marine colonel uncle named Larry, he was there, and all of their boys, they were way braver than I was, way more experienced in outdoor stuff, and so after we finally made it to the top, after trudging through snow up to our knees wearing only shorts because it was summer and we weren't prepared, thank you, after we navigated, this is true, sliding rock cascades, you take one wrong step, you'd slide down 15 feet, rocks would slide on the person right underneath you, after we made it to the top, after the near vertical borderline deathly climb without oxygen, we made it. There's this little circular, yeah, I'm alive, so I'm, I made it, obviously, but there's this little circular, it's true, I'm alive, and there's a little circular area at the top with this sign, if, you've been, if you climb mountains, it's got a sign, it's got location, it's got elevation on it, and I'll never forget coming up and looking over the top out in this valley at more than 12,000 feet up. It's an experience in a moment I'll never forget. Now, let me tell you, that view, that experience is available for anyone in the world right now. Right now for free. It doesn't cost you anything. You can go any time you want, any time that you want. You know, it's available, it's free to experience. You can't create it, but how do you get there? Come on, by approaching and keep on approaching, by climbing and keeping on climbing, by coming on and keep on coming on. Didn't Jacob say in the Bible, God, I won't let go until you bless me. Jacob did the clinging. God did the blessing. Didn't Moses climb a mountain to be with God? Yeah, he did. Moses did the climbing. God did the speaking. Didn't Elijah climb that same mountain years later to be with God? He did. Elijah did the climbing. God did the whispering. Didn't Jesus climb a mountain and take Peter, James, and John? Yeah, he did. They climbed. They climbed. He revealed. 
His glory. See, climb the mountain, friends, of your day. Climb the mountain of your schedule. Climb the mountain of your morning and approach that throne of grace. It's always opposed to earning. Oh, it's never opposed to effort. And if you'll do this, you'll do this. You'll find that number three, in the end, that the throne of grace is where we are rewarded. We're rewarded. This isn't some American prosperity deal I'm talking about. No, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll quote saying something incredible. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, he's talking about the throne of grace. Go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Now let me ask you this. What if you really believed that? What if you really believed it? Hmm? What if you really believed it? Do you think your life might change if you developed the discipline, the habit of meeting with God? Do you think it might change how you lived if you believed that? I, I think it would. And I think that one of the greatest rewards and greatest changes we could ever receive, hear me, the greatest reward we could ever receive is more of God's presence. It's more of God's nearness. It's the tangible sense of the friendship of God. And here is why the presence of God and the nearness of God and friendship with God is its own reward. It's because the presence of God helps us and his nearness helps us face and conquer what is arguably our greatest struggle in life, which is to face and to conquer our greatest fear, whatever that may be. You heard Carrie mention one of hers earlier. Human beings, you know this, we're gripped by fear. We experience fear. But doesn't his scripture say, doesn't the Bible say that his perfect love casts out fear? But we struggle with fear, and God knows this. God knows human beings struggle with fear. You're gripped by fear, which is why whenever he shows up in the Old Testament, Hebrew scriptures, what does he say? Do not, Moses, do not, Joshua, don't be afraid. Fear not. When he sends an angel, the angel of the Lord always says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Jesus shows up in the New Testament on planet Earth. Don't be afraid. Fear not, little flock, he says, because we're afraid. God knows us. We're afraid to take that step in life because we're afraid God isn't with us. We're afraid to take a bold step, career, opportunity. Ask someone out on a date, right? Because we're afraid of rejection. Oh, we're afraid to write that book, go back to school, do that thing. What the news says, what that diagnosis holds because yeah, we're afraid and we live in a culture where we're insured up to our eyeballs, where we threaten to sue anybody who may harm us. Why? Because we're afraid. All of that reveals that we're afraid, most of all, that God isn't with us, that he's not for us, that he doesn't love us. But look at what the writer says. Approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence, boldness. Come with guts so that you can find what you need. A couple of years ago, around Christmas time, I got to fulfill what was at the time a, a lifelong dream of mine of sorts, and I got to take uh, my family snow skiing. Got to take my kids snow skiing, especially, and we found this one little lift place, one little lift on the side of the road, another place in Colorado. But it didn't matter, big or small, especially when you're a beginner, because that day uh, the snow was great. It had just snowed, and we were all pumped to be there. At least at the beginning. <laughs> because if you've ever tried to snow ski, you know it can be really tricky at first. It's hard to get going. And so after a few hours of doing this, one of my sons in particular, I have three sons and a daughter. One of my sons in particular was really struggling. He kept falling, kept falling, couldn't get back up, couldn't get his skis on. And so at one point, and he couldn't get up anymore, he said, that's it. I'm not moving. All right. 
So I skied over because, you know, yes, there had been tears, there had been tantrums along the way, and so he couldn't get up, and so I went over to him and I said, buddy, it's no big deal if you want to quit. You don't have to ski anymore. I'm like the dad trying to smooth it out, right? Uh, uh, you don't have to ski anymore, but listen, you can't stay here because you'll die if you do. Sometimes this kid, some of the kids, you got to break it and keep it real. So I said, you can just like slide down or something and go back in a lodge and drink cocoa, but you can't stay here because you'll die. And he said, well, I don't want to quit. I said, really? I said, why not? He said, because I want to go with you all the way to the top. All right. I said, well, buddy, those are the tougher slopes up there, like the blues, a little harder up there. Not easy, but if you can make it down this one little easy beginner green slope right here, those are the easy ones, um, I'll take you up. He said, deal, deal. So he kept trying, and he kept trying, and he couldn't make it, and he couldn't make it down the hill without falling, and he almost quit. But then, but then near the end of the afternoon, I mean, it was like straight out of a movie, right when the sun was setting. <laughs> he got off the lift, turned around, came around, looked over the edge, pointed his skis straight down the hill, and went straight down in the line. Didn't break, didn't swerve, didn't stop. <laughs> until he got to the bottom, and somehow, somehow miraculously, he managed to break and keep himself up right before, like a foot, before he blew up a group of kindergartners who were there at the bottom for ski school, you know, their skis, and, and he turned around when he made it, and he looked back up at the top at mom and dad, and he held his arms up, and he cheered. It was amazing. It was an amazing moment, and so and I took him back up, and we went down that harder slope together. And we got home that day. I said, buddy, I said, what motivated you to do that? I mean, how did, you, how did you go down the mountain like that? There would have been no shame if you hadn't have done it. And by the way, I'll say either day, there's no shame in this. There's no condemnation. With it. Don't, don't, don't hear that at all. But I said, there would have been no shame in not going, how did you do it? Here's what he said. He said, Dad, I just kept thinking about going all the way to the top of the mountain with you. I just kept thinking, going all the way to the top of the mountain with you. And let me tell you today, there is a place at the top of the mountain for you with your father. For you with your father. There's a place at the top for you with your father in the throne of grace. There is a reward for you there. And it is made available because of what Jesus has done. He wasn't uh, just another priest who came to give a goat or a sheep. No, he, didn't, he offered not just another sacrifice, but himself and what you could never achieve. Jesus has done that you can receive it. Made a way for you to meet almighty God at a place you don't deserve but now have every right to inhabit a place, the throne of grace. It's there for you, there for me, friends. So let's come boldly. The hymn says, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. It calls me from my world of care and bids me at my Father's throne to make all my wants and wishes known. And since he bids me seek his face, I'll believe his word and trust his grace. I hope you can say amen to that. Let me just take a moment here and pray for you, church. Lord, we just come in Jesus' name today, and we thank you so much for this invitation, like you've thrown these doors wide open to us, to come, and then you've even said you reward us for going. Lord, I am praying for that invitation to create in us, inspire us to create the discipline of meeting with you. There's a place at the top for us with you, our Heavenly Father. 
Psalm 84. Psalm 84 says that even the sparrow has found a place at your altar. Lord, I pray today in every person's mind's eye right now, they would see the seat at your table that's only filled when they're there. There's a seat at your table that's only filled when each one of us is there, held for us, reserved for us, our name on it. Give us grace to go there. If you're saying today, Lord, I need this grace, I want to do this, I desire more of the presence of God this year in my life, would you just raise your hands right now? Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for these, their hands up, raise, acknowledging their need, acknowledging their need for grace. You said we could come and you'd give that what we need to us, find grace to help us in our time of need. Help us find this with you, with our community, our local church, our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.